All right, we're here again with the Down to Earth podcast. I'm super excited to be with Kevin Bigelow from Christchurch uh, Beaches. Is that right? Yes. Christchurch Beaches Christchurch in, in Jack's Beach. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, we've met briefly a little while ago. You are mutual friends with uh, my pastor, Chris Partika at Ocean yep. Park. Um, how do you guys know each other? Oh, my again, goodness. Actually? Um, lots of levels. So <laughs> I was uh, at Gordon Conwell as a student while Chris was on staff at Gordon Conwell. Then um, with mutual friends, Joe Naramore uh, is a um, network director for Campus Outreach who Chris knew. Uh, Joe came out with me as a ruling elder when we planted out in Jack's okay. Beach. And then just we're pastors in the same town. And so Chris and I, uh, with a couple other buddies, would pray together off and on. Um, and then most recently, when we were, when uh, I should say I was office-less, uh, Chris, the, the um, building of the church that he pastors had, this space that you and I are actually sitting in right, right now uh, was like available and out of their the kindness of their heart, they offered it to awesome. me to, to squat in. So yeah. The way that story goes is Chris, Chris texted me and said, hey, where are you studying? And I said, well, I'm trying to clean out my garage. Otherwise, I'm on my couch. <laughs> and he was like, bro, we got an office you can have. That's awesome. Yeah, he speaks very highly of you often. Yeah, he speaks highly of you often, so I've heard a lot about you, and uh, I know we've tried to work this out for a while. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> but no, no, I'm, I'm glad it's uh, worked out this time, so thanks for giving me some of your afternoon. Um, I'll let you start, as I most of the time do. Um, tell me a little bit about your, I guess, story of coming to repentance and faith in Jesus and kind of how that um, changed your life, I guess, and kind of how that led you to into full-time ministry to where you're at. Yeah, right now. that's a great question. I'm obviously, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, um, my family, um, largely stopped going to church when I was like in pre elementary, early elementary age. Um, so we would have grown up going to church uh, at Easter, Christmas Eve, things like that, but I wasn't what you would consider like raised in the church. Um, but around the time I was in high school, I started being curious about um, what it meant to be a Christian. And we had this old like King James Version Bible, yeah. and I started reading it. Um, and then um, fast forward a little bit, I went to a post-grad year, post-grad semester after high school, before college, came back in the winter and before I went on to undergrad, I worked as a security guard. Um, and I used to, um, got, I just got bored on my mind. And I, I started taking the Bible <laughs> with me and reading it. Okay. Um, like, you know, most most nights that I was working. And this feels like a weird way in on how to come to faith and repentance. For me, um, realizing my sin and recognizing who Jesus is largely just came through reading the scriptures. Hmm. Um, then I got to... Uh, Cornell met the Navigators, if you know. Yeah, yeah, very familiar. Yeah, yeah. so we're, um, my bride and I are both uh, Navigators, and the guy who discipled me in college likes to say I snuck in the back door of the kingdom. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, after college, so I, a lot of my early spiritual formation, even learning what repentance is, learning who Christ is, like, you know, you think sure. about the idea of coming to faith over time. I, sometimes I feel like I became a Christian this morning, you know, yeah. <laughs> like all that. Um, 
a lot of my early spiritual formation was with the navigators and through the scriptures and what it means to be in um, like gospel-centered community. Hmm. And then after graduation, um, I just worked, I moved into corporate America for a while and was there for 10 years, but um, we bounced around a bunch and then um, not churches, but cities because of my career. And through that learned like how valuable the local church is. Hmm. And then we found um, our way into a local church that we love, and I love the pastor. I was actually just running late to you from a meeting with him. (laughs) Oh, cool. And um, so we became members and then group leaders, and I became an elder. And then they were beginning to um, work on planting out in Jack's Beach, and lots of story in there, but um, I ended up leaving J&J to say yes to leading the out here at the beach so for me um, the transition into ministry was a really particular one it was about um, it wasn't like a general call into being a pastor it was a really particular call to come plant a specific church in a cool. specific community yeah, yeah awesome did I answer your question yeah yeah, yeah. totally <laughs> yeah I was gonna ask you even um, more about kind of the um, I think there's a few pastors who I've had on here who have had some experience with church planning and um, some things like that as well. So kind of from that angle, um, being a new plant in a new place, did you ever find it difficult or as we kind of briefly talked about, um, I guess, defining success or like how would you Mm -hmm. navigate? What does that look like to like, you know, get ahead of yourself or shortchange yourself? But, you know, biblically thinking of planning a new place and going in with a healthy mindset uh, as a new pastor or church planner. Yeah. How would you maybe navigate that? Um, So my answer to that is like an entire podcast, not episode, (laughs) but but like we should do that sometime. Um, But to sum it up. Um, a couple of things I would say is to realize that planting a church is entirely unlike any other work you'll ever do. Mm. Um, and I say that with like having had a bunch of different roles in my previous world. And here's the difference. Um, you're not the primary agent. Right. Right. Mm. Um, you never are, but Mm. the illusion of that is completely stripped away in church planting what really animated us is Romans four seventeen, where it talks about the faith of Abraham, but it says um, he believed in uh, the one who um, brought life out of death and called into existence that which does not exist. And so if you think, like, you read Genesis 1 and right. 2, and you're like, bro, what would it have been like for me to just be sitting there when, like, I would love to have seen Genesis 1 and 2 happen. Yeah. And the Lord is like, go plant a church, (laughs) you know, you're watching him bring Mm. um, new life where death was and literally to see the worship of Christ exist where it didn't exist before. Yeah. um, Is is really amazing. But part of why you're, it becomes so clear that you're not the primary agent is the field you're working in is the human heart. Mm. And like the most inaccessible thing in the cosmos is the human heart we just don't have access to it this only the spirit of god does and so you end up doing your work not for christ but from christ mm-hmm. and you do it um with christ as like a, a, a project of intimacy with him not really even fruitfulness you know right right so that's that's part of the i think part of the watch out is just 
surviving the disorientation of that where you're used to like man if i have the right strategy i've got good vision the right strategy great team i'm really well trained this is going to go great i think it was mike tyson who said everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth you know? <laughs> sure and uh the devil hates jesus and so he hates yeah. the church yeah um mm. And then on the fruitfulness thing, just I know you were asking yeah. about success, um, and I'll probably come back to this with a, I think there might be a question, but I'll bring this up in. But, um, and I don't know who's going to be mad at me for saying this this way, but <laughs> um, evangelicalism is a little bit of a mess mm. right now. Yeah. Um, and it has largely to do with us being unmoored. Like we're just not sure what's right and what's not or what's true and what's not or what's ortho or not right mm-hmm. um and so one of the things that i love is if you just take pick your favorite christian from every century of church history put those 20 men all in a room at the same time ask them um how do you grow in christ there's four things that they'll all agree on and it is uh, the word prayer worship and being part of like some gospel, some type of gospel community, right? Mm. All of them will agree on those four. They'll all mention other things, but none of them will agree on it, right? Yeah. And so as a planter, it's like, man, go stay really focused on Christ and the ordinary means of grace. And whatever happens, happens, mm. you know? Mm. Um, so. I'm sure that's helpful too, um, in some ways, because any of those results where else are you going to give, hopefully give credit to, you know, yeah. other than the work of God in the hearts of, you know, yeah. those he places you in. Right. So that's, yeah. that's really cool. Do you feel like, have you planted anywhere other than Jack's Beach before or no, been a well, ish, part of? Well, but okay. not really. Yeah. No, this okay. is the, this is the only time I've been the planter. Okay. I've been the lead pastor. Okay. Um, the church we came out of was a plant when we came into it. Um, without realizing it, we were part of a church plant when we lived in West Palm. And without realizing it, we were part of a church plant in uh, Ithaca, New York, when we okay. were living there. Okay. So um, most of the time, we've actually been in a church plant without... Really? Yeah. Like, no, no, yeah. 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 Uh, the reason I asked was because I feel like I've heard... Um, I'm from Greenville, South Carolina. Yeah. Um, and I've yeah. heard, you know, trying to plant a church... Um, in like a beach town presents its own like unique oh, for sure. challenges. So yeah, I didn't know if comparatively if you had any experiences where like, oh yeah, here it's different for X, Y, Z or if that's any truth yeah. to what I've heard. Yeah, and, and, well, I, mm-hmm. I mean, only thing I can, only beach town I've ever lived in is this one, but we have a essentially a river that just as close that way as we do mm-hmm. the beach here. Right. So um, technically we're on what's called Pablo Island. So it's a barrier island. And the phenomenon of that is once you cross the intercoastal waterway, which for anybody listening, what they call that here is the ditch. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you cross the ditch, it, cre- it transitions the psychography. And what I mean by that is in other beach towns, um, there's, there's, a, uh, there's a it's more permeable transition from what is the beach to what is city center, right? Because there's not always some physical landmark separating it. But here, it's really separated because unless you live on this side of the intercoastal, you can't walk to the beach. Right. 
anywhere on this side of the intercoastal, you're just talking about how far you have to walk or right. whatever. But, yeah. <laughs> but you can't walk over the interstate to get here, right? Right. Um, and so it creates this really finite focus space. And what that does is it makes the barrier to entry really high. Mm-hmm. And so you have to, to live here, you have to really want to live here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anytime you're in that type of setting, the, you know, the, in my old life in marketing, they call it the street choice model, but the like priorities, what matters to people who would be willing to make the investment to live out here. It's just a different sure. set of things. And sure. so, um, yeah. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, with your time being at, um, um, yeah, Christ Church, or I'm sorry, yeah, yeah Christ Church, Church yeah, Christ Church yeah, 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 sorry, yeah. um, yeah, what would you say is, is one thing that stands out that you absolutely love about yeah. your, your local body? Yeah, I mean, we, so we have, uh, I won't name names because I'll embarrass them, but, um, <laughs> we have, uh, we have some emerging elders in training right now, one's already installed, one is preparing for installation but we're in the process of becoming our own particular session and uh i mean those guys love jesus mm. and they love the church they love each other they love me i love them um we talk about it pretty regularly as um community zero meaning the gospel community whose culture originates the rest of the culture of the church right so mm. the way the elders relate to each other in the gospel eventually becomes the dynamics of how the whole church relates to each other. So, I mean, golly, the Lord could not have raised up, be in the process of raising up better men and families to mm. lead his church than, than those guys. So awesome. Yeah. I mean, they're amazing. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's encouraging to have, um, yeah, a group. As you mentioned earlier, like having a good team and strategy can only yeah. take you so far, but it is necessary um, to have good, yeah. godly leaders of yeah. a local and church. And there's a really good, if you're interested in this topic, there's an insanely good book called Lead by Paul Tripp. Um, and he walks through essentially the, the argument for um, gospel leadership community. And what he's saying is um, the leaders of the church, whether it's the pastor or elders or whoever, um, are humans, and so they need the gospel right. the same way everybody else does. Mm. But the only place where it's entirely safe for the leaders to have gospel community is amongst other leaders, right? Mm. And so unless the gospel is the fundamental fabric of the leadership community's relationship, then your leaders are robbed of the gospel. Right. And that affects the way the ministry plays out. Sure. So he makes the argument of like, hey, even before you're a team, try to be a community. Um, right. And before you become friends, try to be Christians. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, sure. Yeah. So. Absolutely. We do, when we're together, we do this weird thing called the Where Are You Tree. And it's, if you've ever seen it in like counseling kind of thing, it's a tree with all these men hanging on it in different ways. And we don't do it every time we're together, but pretty regularly. We, we try to describe, pick who we are. Mm-hmm. And it's a way in on, like, what's going on in our lives and what's happening at the level of our heart and in what way are we being tempted to wander from Christ and how do we give courage to each other to come back to mm-hmm. Jesus. So, mm-hmm. 
That's yeah, cool. Yeah, the, dyna- the gospel dynamics amongst those guys are so cool. Yeah, that's excellent. And um, I know part of um, church leadership is church discipline. So this next question is yeah. not is not an opportunity for you Far to practice away, that bro. yet. <laughs> yeah. But uh, what is kind of the flip side? You know, something um, being at a church plant, which how long has it been? Yeah, we is, well, we launched it... we launched public worship in September of 2019. 2019, so okay. So worship has been going on, coming on four years. Okay. Gotcha. So kind of then, yeah, the flip side of that question is where are, is there any certain area that you want to see grow more, develop, mature, yeah, you know, anything like that? that's a great question. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And um, it's possible to answer that question without conflating those two things. There like, yeah. can be things that you long for that aren't like wrong. You of know, course. Discipline. But um, just a side note on church discipline is actually one of my oddly enough, favorite topics. Yeah. <laughs> and I love, I have this penchant for things that we misuse, like mm. for talking about what they really mean. Um, so church, if you think through the way the reformers talked about the church, they said there's three marks to the church, the word, the sacraments, and then the third being church discipline. Mm. Anything that's not exercising all three of those isn't properly church, mm. right? Mm. Um, it's it's something. It's not saying it's bad, or it's, it's just not a church. Right. It, a church is when those three come together. But when they said that, um, the discipline comes from the same root as discipleship, and so church discipline is not primarily negative. It's right. also positive. Oh yeah. So meaning, very much. Um, so. Meaning the proactive formation of the Christian is something that the church should engage in absolutely um and so in that sense like yeah man the church should be thinking hard about how to form people in christ yeah um so that's not just like hey you've done something really you're being stubborn about something you've done wrong and now i'm gonna fence you from the table right yeah that goal is always that's a very minor (laughs) like instance right um so yeah, connected to that, I think what I what I'm um, loving about what Jesus is doing and longing to see more of is we're um, there's another really great book uh, called "You Are What You Love" by James K. Smith mm-hmm. and his um, thesis in there, which I completely agree with. I think I don't think he convinced me. I think I already I think I love the book because like I was like finally somebody yeah. wrote a book, you know. <laughs> um, but he makes the argument that humans aren't fundamentally head or fundamentally hands. We're fundamentally hearted. So we're, we're gutted, willed, affectional mm-hmm. creatures. What that means, though, is the gospel isn't primarily theological or ethical. It's affectional. It's primarily about what we want. right? Um, and the way what, what shapes our wants is um, what we give our attention to. And the narrative that that's communicating to the story we're living inside of. And so coming full circle around to the ordinary means of grace, you know, the only thing in the cosmos that draws me back into the story of Christ and back into back into the gospel um, is the Bible. It's preaching, being gospeled by other Christians, you know, right. Um, the table, seeing, seeing the promise of Christ. Um and so, yeah, our, our church is growing right now in its, like, 
discipline's not the right word, but like it's exercise of ordinary sure. means, and like I'm excited for that to keep keep going. Um, funny story. Uh, I know I'm digressing a ton, but um, <laughs> it's, I love it. Um, do you know the story of Ambrose and Theodosius? Um, I know I've heard it, yeah, but I okay. could I not give you. I couldn't give yeah, you yeah, anything yeah. right now. No, <laughs> um, but I am familiar with. So Ambrose is a bishop who's preaching in the early 4th century, I think, is um, pretty influential in Augustine coming to Christ. So um, Ambrose is probably my favorite person from post-apostle, like, church history. You know, he's just a baller. But um, Theodosius uh, ends up sanctioning a massacre in Ephesus. And, um, but he's a Christian. And so Ambrose ends up uh, fencing him from the table. And over time, it ends up bringing Theodosius, the sitting current like Roman emperor who's able to sanction the murder of thousands of people, ends up bringing him into repentance. Mm. You know, And just the amount of courage that it takes for a pastor to um, not, just, not confront, not push back, but to stand their ground on the necessity of the gospel for that person's health, you know? Right. Um, and so I love that picture of the only way Ambrose did that is that like, he actually believed in the resurrection of Christ, Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I think related to that is, um, I was just telling somebody the other day, like, man, if, his, if it used to be normal in church history that Ambrose could tell, that a bishop could tell a sitting emperor. Yeah, <laughs> so true. You know, that he needed to repent. Mm. Um, then we have, we're, we've sort of come a far, long way from that in right. evangelicalism today. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Um, it makes me think of the text uh where i believe it's paul says they literally handed so and so over to satan yeah you know but all of those practices of of the discipline uh correction was for restoration and for you know reconciliation and i think it's hard to um and (laughs) of all i feel like i talk about this a lot on my podcast but uh I've been married for almost two and a half years. So a lot Ooh, of my, yeah. a lot of my growing in the Lord has a context of marriage right now. Absolutely. And yes. which I think is good. You no, not no, yet. No, so that's yet. probably another wave of, <laughs> yeah. but, um, I feel like where I'm trying to learn to grow more and more and more is in addressing sin, both my own with my wife yeah. and being willing to, to eagerly seek forgiveness when mm-hmm. I have wronged, mm-hmm. but also granting it when I've been wronged. Mm-hmm. And um, I mentioned this on my last episode about the speck and the log. And um, it's just, I feel like right now, maybe you're kind of getting at this a little bit in just the fact that if you ever call someone out, you're immediately against them. Mm-hmm. And that's just not, from the Christian context, that's not true. Yeah. You know, we're trying to draw people back yeah. by pointing out those flaws or sins and things yeah. like that um so that can be a hard balance sometimes grace and truth but yeah um you know this is uh this is a tangent but it's just, it's illustrative um in my home we have three little kids mm-hmm. nine five and three and we regularly 
um, implement community consequence. Okay. That sounds funny. But that's like if one kid is like going sideways, all the kids are going to have a consequence related to that kid going sideways. And where that came from, I know that feels twisted, but where that <laughs> came from was um, learning not just to not instigate the person, but to come alongside and help them. And so mm. if the siblings are helping the one, we'll be very slow to implement community consequence. But if they're abandoning uh, their sibling mm-hmm. to like the thing, it's like, well, okay, well, the, there's a bigger principle here. Right. And the bigger principle is um, in Christ, we're a y'all before we're ever a you. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even at the real practical level, our sin has community consequences, right. plural consequences. Right. And uh, so we don't, we love the other person, obviously, but we also just love ourselves, frankly, by mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. stepping into um, the gap. I love one of my favorite verses is um, Galatians 6 1. It says, uh, Brothers, if any of you are caught in transgression, let those who are spiritual among you restore him. Mm-hmm. Restore him. Right. In a spirit of gentleness. Right. Keep a close watch on yourselves as you too be tempted. Uh, and then our, the famous verse where we always have moving boxes in our head is bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, right? Right, right. Bearing one another's burdens is me or you engaging me when I'm wandering mm. in restoration. Mm. You know? Right. That's good. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's great. That's a lot to think about <laughs> yeah, for, sorry, for later, too. No, I love it. No, I love that. Um, one of the yeah other questions I love to ask, because um, part of the podcast, too, I don't limit it to just one. You know, I've had uh, Baptists. I've had some non-denom. Yeah. You know, I believe yeah, P- yeah. PCA. Yeah. Um, so one thing I like to ask is what's one kind of theological belief that you hold and how does that translate to day to day? You were talking a little bit earlier about shepherding, um, kind of with where you're at now with your church, but yeah, how does, how does a certain theological conviction you have translate to actual hands-on ministry with your congregation? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I can just tell you right out of the gates, uh, um, I think, well, not think, I believe that the highest theological category is Christology. Mm. Um, Who Jesus is and what he's done, because God's revelation of himself reaches its fullness in Christ. And so you just think Mm. through John 1, where it's like, man, no one's ever even seen God, but the God who's at the Father's side, he's made him known. Right. This word that was God that was in the beginning, right? right? right. Like mm-hmm. mixed up in the creation, the, the creative act, the generative act, became flesh and dwelt among us, right? Mm. Um, one of my favorite authors is John Owen. And yeah. his favorite verses is from 2 Corinthians 4, where it says, um, he who, let, who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Mm. Um, and so for me, and honestly, it's where our name comes from. Our three priorities in order are Christ, church, mm. beaches. There you go. So we go, our, our emphases are Christology, translated into ecclesiology, translated into missiology. Mm. Okay. That's cool. Um, so, yeah, how that plays out day to day is um, take, for example, uh, 
the last sermon I preached was about um, how Christ creates healthy conflict rather than um, passive aggressive mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and um, it's interesting one of the most misused verses in the Bible is uh, at the end of Matthew 18 where it says wherever two or three are gathered in my name there am I among them and we take that to mean like I can have church in a coffee shop except uh, that's the end of Jesus's commentary on the Matthew 18 process of entering conflict with your brother right and what he's saying there is the reason you enter conflict with one another is not because you're sure you're right and the other one's wrong or it's not because you can anticipate how they're going to respond right or not but it's because I've promised to be among you, I'd be there in the midst of you as you engage, and the power at work among you is resurrection, mm. you know? Mm. Um, so from who Christ is and what he's done, I mean, it shapes how we fight with each other, whether we fight with right. each other, not, sure. you know? A um, whole bunch of things. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's a practical one. Uh, the, the thicker we get uh, the picture of Jesus, not as Christus exemplar, but the whole substitution of Christ, Christ for us, that from there we're able to have, am I loved, am I safe, those big questions answered, and then from there we're able to like live right. out of his resurrection. Right, right. So, was that super abstract? Or no, I, your no, it does. Yeah. I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, a view, a correct view of Christ is obviously, you know, it's a big, (laughs) it's a big part of obviously the DNA of any church. Um, and so, yeah, the emphasis on that and how that relates to quarreling, you know, Mm -hmm. with a fellow brother or sister or practicing church discipline or as we've been talking about, um, yeah, the more you can, um, yeah, know Christ and, you know, knowing his heart, you're, you are knowing the heart of God. And so what, what yeah. makes him sad, you know, is yeah. going to make what, you know, what he rejoices in, we yeah. will learn to rejoice in um, as we are transformed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. That's right. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And it's, um, I think what gave me it, one thing that stoked the courage to even start down that line of thinking years mm-hmm. ago is uh, when Paul said, I mean, Paul knew a lot of things like, my man studied under Gamaliel, like clearly was good enough at his secular job to pay the bills. Right. Like, you know, very competent fellow. Um, didn't say he didn't know anything but Christ. He said, I resolved to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Mm. So for him, the, the unbelievable worth and productivity of Christology just abrogated the importance of anything else right it's just like right. yeah i know some other stuff it's just not worth telling you about you <laughs> yeah <know? laughs> what's else there to boast in? yeah yeah so that's great it's, yeah it's pretty great no i love yeah. that uh well as i mentioned too in the the email i sent each week i ask pretty much the same yeah, questions yeah, yeah, and then i give each pastor a new one so yeah. um what i'd like to ask you is what would you say to um you know the regular church going person you know um i hopefully not you know i guess i I like to call them the shower goers you know they show up and then they just go like they don't really plug in or you know they just show and go um what would you say you know to those or just church members 
in general, what are ways that as a pastor, having church members that do X, Y, Z is really helpful for you as a pastor? That way you're not carrying and doing everything, but also how the body helps edify and build up one another. Yeah. yeah, What would be some things you think were really important for? Yeah. I mean, there's a huge one that without this one, it's not worth the other ones. There's long list, but yeah, you know, um, entrust yourself to Christ by trusting your pastor Mm. is what I mean. Um, so when you, if you know the structure of Ephesians, um, Ephesians is, uh, it's a mountain and the first three chapters are climbing the peak of the indicatives of the gospel. Right. So the very end of chapter 3 is like that really famous benediction, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask. You know, like that yeah. really awesome verse. Yeah. And then as soon as you get into chapter 4, Paul starts coming down the mountain of imperatives. What is, what's the implication? Right. In our church, we actually tend to talk about implications rather than imperatives because it's like... Um, imperative is like, what should I do? Implication is, what mat- What difference does it make? That mm-hmm. Jesus is these mm-hmm. things, right? Mm-hmm. But um, it's interesting when you look at the very end of chapter 3 and the very beginning of chapter 4, that that is the peak of what um, implications, what are the biggest implications of the biggest truths of the gospel? Right there, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so the end of 3 is that benediction, and then 4 is... Um, Christology and ecclesiology. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And then immediately he turns into, and the Lord, King Jesus, gave the church apostles, prophets, teachers, shepherds, pastors. Right. Um, and he says his reason is otherwise the church would be tossed to and fro while she waits on Jesus to come back. <laughs> mm. um, and so that is not that's not your pastor's plan. That's not the, that's not like man's plan. That's not like your local denominations plan. That's King Jesus's plan for preserving the church while they're waiting for her, for him to return. Right. Um, and so you give yourself to, I loved what you said when we were talking, like, man, one of the big privileges was, yeah, I love the way you said it. You said was finding a local church. I could commit myself to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a very big gulf between a church I go to, a church I've joined, and a church I've committed myself to. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you don't trust your pastor because he's always right or because he's super smart or because he'll never hurt you or any of those things. If you entrust yourself to Christ. Right. And from entrusting yourself to Christ, you donate that trust to the lead pastor and the elders of your local church. Sure. Um, and so that ends up look, after that. That ends up looking like like hey, whatever the essential ministries of the church are, be a part of it. You know, mm. um, if they ask you to do something like, especially if it's something that they're also doing, mm. like you probably don't have a good reason to not do it. You know, right? Um, and maybe occasionally you do, but regularly, you don't. You know. Um, so yeah, if that if that's not in place, it, it's really hard to even imagine what it would be like to join your pastor in the labor of their life um, that is born out of I won't say insubordination, but a lack of mm, sure. trust. You know, mm, sure. So trust Christ and trust Him with the 
imperfect ministry of your pastor. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Show some grace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And receive the word from his hands. You know, right. like he's going to preach and do his best job. And by far the hardest thing in human history to do is to write a sermon. Like yeah. it really is. I mean, yeah. you're just, the work is extraordinary. It's death to life and the means are ordinary. And so the pastor is working as hard as he can and is just completely insufficient for the task. Mm. Not because he's like not smart, not hardworking, right. not talented. Like even if he's the most talented, hardest working guy in the world, he's can't do the work that the spirit does. Right. You know? But mm. but Christ has called him to try. Right, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's what I love is you know, God is sovereign not only over the ends of what the fruit that is produced, but also the means and yeah. he can equip, you know, his saints to do his work. Yeah. Um and that is yeah. So obvious all over Old and New Testament yeah. with how God uses And his so, people. like, if the pastor says something you don't like, like, I, seriously, go ask him to explain it to you and mean it when mm. you ask him. Mm. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like assume sure. um, that the guy who did the however long he worked to think through it, um, that... Uh, the, the gap in communication between the two of you might not necessarily be his wrongness. Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So. That's true. No, I love that. Thank you. That's a good answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you, you won't run into that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I say that. I don't know. He'll, 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 he'll probably listen to this, but when you say that, I'm like, he is an Orioles fan though. So knows, I'm bro. like, are you kidding? I yeah. I, I grew up in Maryland. Well, that, yeah, that yeah. Make, he makes fun of me. Uh, my dad, it's a whole other story. He grew up in uh, Greer, South Carolina, and the only some of the only channels he got were yeah. wherever the Cowboys played every week yes. and every like other week wherever the Yankees played. So okay. I've just I've grown up watching the Yankees, so Chris hates that about me, yes. but uh, that's yeah. neither here nor there. But. Well, I grew up with the Cowboys fans. So we have okay, there you go. Yeah. But I grew up with... Cal Ripken playing third and Brady Anderson hitting bombs to start the game. So. <laughs> well, we can never beat the Orioles. I just sent Chris a screenshot. We just played the Orioles earlier this week, I think, and they yeah. beat us. So I'm like, we just, for whatever reason, I just hate it. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> keeps me humble uh, awesome. here. But, uh, well, thank you again yeah, so, man. so much. Sorry, for... we, we took so much time. <laughs> no, I love it. Uh, anything else in closing you'd like to add before we, no, we just, wrap it up? I, we barely know each other, man, but I'm proud of you. Oh, well, it's thank really you. It's cool watching um, your perseverance, watching you lead your family, mm. watching you engage in a local church. And um, as gnarly as things are right now, it feels weird for me to be like the older guy, but um, yeah. it's really encouraging <laughs> to watch. Like, hey, there's there's some there's some men coming up who really mm. love Jesus and love their family and mm. you seem to be one of those guys. Well, thank so, you. Yeah. Thank you. I've I've yeah. told some people this before that when I die, I really hope that the main things that are talked about at my funeral are man, he loved Jesus, but he really loved his wife. Like yeah. those are the things yeah. that I hope yeah. <laughs> are said. So that's encouraging. Thank yeah. you. Um so yeah, thanks again for joining. Yeah, bro. Appreciate thanks it. For me. Of course.